0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. I want to welcome you to a uh, Minute with Coach Riggs. You know, the other night I was uh, hitting the, uh, I guess you call it channel surfing, looking for something on the TV, and I bounced and hit through there, and I hit one of the movies that I had not seen in a long time. That movie was uh, A Field of Dreams, and it starred Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones. He had Burt Lancaster in it, and if you, uh, those of you that have seen the movie and remember the movie, the story behind it was that um, Costner plays a Iowa farmer who starts hearing voices telling him to build a baseball field. And so he eventually does. He builds a baseball field out in the middle of his corn pasture, which, of course, everybody thinks is crazy. And it's not long before um, some of the great Major League Baseball players of the past that had passed on are out there playing. And so it's a great movie. And, um, again, if you haven't seen it in a while or have never seen it, it's certainly worth your time to be able to do that. And it reminded me of a time about a decade or so ago when uh, we had built, or in the process of building, a new practice field at uh, T.R. Miller. I was sitting out there one day in my P.E. class, watching them play out there on the uh, outfield of the baseball field where we practiced football all those years. And I got to thinking, you know, the last 50 years, all the great football players at Miller had been out on that field and practiced. And prepared themselves for their their season. The great teams, the great coaches. It just just hit me that that we all grew up out there on that field, you know. Certainly, I did in more ways than one. I thought it might be a good idea to um, go back and look at the history of fields in Bruton, uh, where the T.R. Miller football team has been practicing and playing, and from their um, inception. Uh, in uh, 1926. So let's go back to 1926 just for a few minutes um, at, and before that you went to school in Bruton you went to Bruton Collegiate Institute which was downtown and at the time citizens started feeling like that it was time to build a new school they wanted a new high school and so what they did was uh, started looking for land to build a new school and Bruton wasn't uh, as big as it is today uh, if you go from downtown Bruton, which has basically been in that spot for ever since the town was uh, begun, and you branch out from there, you didn't go too far before you know you'd be out in the country uh, at the time, Mrs. T. R. Miller owned some land right up Belleville Avenue there. She made an agreement with the um, school board that if they would name the new school after her late husband. You would donate the property for the new, as it turned out, T.R. Miller High School. And so that's the way the name came about. So they built the school, and in the fall of 1926, students entered T.R. Miller High School for the very first time. Miller had been playing football. They'd been playing football at Bruton Collegiate Institute. As they entered T.R. Miller, uh, they played as T.R. Miller High School. Instead of being known as Bruton, they became known as T.R. Miller. The team had been practicing and playing at Lyles Park. Now, Lyles Park was a baseball park first. That was right near downtown Bruton, and it was to the south of town there, and it was over there somewhere on the other side of the railroad tracks um, between uh, uh, where the old Bruton Works and Grady was located, and all over there, somewhere between there and, and, and around the creek there. And uh, Lyles Park was used. In those days, we had a semi-pro baseball team, and the, that team played at Lyles Park. Uh, the school used it to practice and play football and baseball. Uh, they would use it for other things. Uh, if a circus came to town or something, then uh, they would usually do that at Lyles Park because Park, Lyles Park had some bleachers uh, to, uh, for, for people to sit in. The problem in 1926 was that now students that are playing football for say uh, they've got to dress and they've got to get transported to the park which is a little over a mile from the school then they got to go back and redress and that kind of thing and so it didn't take long to figure out that hey we need a we need a field at the school we need a field we could practice and play at on the campus of T.R. Miller High School of the new T.R. Miller High School if we can and so they had plenty of room behind the school to be able to do that and so again they decided okay, well, let's get together and build a build a field. So apparently they enlisted the help of the Bruton Rotary Club, and the Rotary Club put together kind of a work committee to, um, to get the job done of erecting a field. And this included, um, first of all, bringing dirt in, and uh, they paid for that, to, for dirt to be hauled in. Uh, they seeded grass on that field, built a little fence around it, you know, just to kind of keep, folks off the field as much as they can. They built a little grandstand, it wasn't very big, but that a few people could sit down at. And so in the fall of 1927, uh, the field was ready and the school officials decided to name it Rotary Field after the Rotarians who were instrumental in making it happen. So they started play at that time. A couple of things that are kind of interesting about that is number one, They allowed you to drive your vehicle up there, uh, right there to the uh, field, and be able to uh, watch a game while you're sitting in your vehicle. Um, The second thing, because there was no fence all the way around the facility itself, you know, people would just kind of walk up and watch the game. So it became difficult to try to, you know, to take admission. uh, Probably, I guess, they're passing the hat or something, but that that was a couple of the issues that they had. But at least they had a feel. During the course of uh, the the rest of the 20s into the 1930s, when they played schools that were a little bit, gonna bring a little bit bigger crowd, occasionally they would play like Pensacola, occasionally uh, they would play Greenville, or almost every year play Greenville and play Atmore, and those were a little bit bigger cities and they brought bigger crowds. They would still go back occasionally and play at Lyles Park uh, because they had more bleachers. So by the mid-1930s, you know, there's getting to be a little more interest in football. In 1937, T.R. Miller hired Ben McLeod as their head coach. Coach McLeod was right out of the University of Alabama. He'd been an outstanding athlete up there. and We'll talk about Coach McLeod again some other time uh, in a little more depth. But uh, fortunes of Miller football, his first two years, uh, they didn't win a lot of games, but everyone could see with the work he was putting in and the program he was uh, putting in that Miller was fixing to have some really good football teams, and so there was interest in making some improvements to the field there, or rotary field. And uh, two or three of the things they wanted to do is, number one, they wanted to regrade the field. They'd been playing on it for a decade. And it needed some work. They wanted to uh, be able to fence some all the way around it. They wanted to build some bigger bleachers and grandstands to allow for more spectators, but the number one thing they wanted to do is they wanted to light the field. So by the mid-1930s, that's one of the things that towns had started doing. They started lighting their fields. Now, because there were no lights, games had to be played in the afternoons. So they would have to start around 3 o'clock. Now, understand that in those days, school didn't start until about the second week of September. We were pretty much an agricultural society. Still then, there were a lot of students who worked in the summer and worked, on the, worked in the fields during the summer. Uh, they didn't start school till about second week of uh, September. Likewise, they couldn't start football practice till they started school, so usually they would come in, school would start. They would make the call for football players, they would show up, they would start practicing. And usually about the last weekend of September was the first game. So it meant that the season lasted from the end of September. uh, Usually the last game they played would be on Thanksgiving. And so because they were all day games in those days, a lot of high school football teams played on Thanksgiving Day. And certainly T.R. Miller did for for several years. That was uh, the, the ability to put lights on your field uh, was going to allow you, instead of playing at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was going to allow you to play at night. And in those days, most people worked six days a week. To be able to play night games was going to increase your crowds. And so that says, town started doing that, and word started getting around that this is going to really increase your crowds. And certainly by that time, Miller had played a night game or two at someone else's field. The idea of, of night football appealed to everybody. So uh, they put together a committee, uh, people, uh, they they had representatives from like the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, the American Legion, uh, folks from the Board of Education, and they put together this committee, and so what they were deciding is what they were going to do and how much it was going to cost, and they finally decided that all the things they wanted to do would probably cost somewhere around $2,000. The next question is, how are we going to raise the money to make this happen? And so... They took an idea that a lot of other towns had done. They decided that they were going to sell warrants or like selling bonds to be able to uh, finance the, uh, the improvements to Rotary Field. So basically what then, the, 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 this committee was called the Citizens Athletic Committee. And they took it on themselves to sell bonds and raise the money. And so basically what would happen is the people, the citizens of Bruton. Uh, loaned the money to build the field. So you would buy a bond, and the bond was guaranteed to pay 4% interest and was supposed to be paid back within five years. So the word they got from other schools is, because of the increase in attendance, you'll make enough money to pay back the money uh, long before five years. Uh, That's exactly what they did. They sold, sold these at 4%. And uh, interestingly enough, when the uh, season started, we'll, we'll get to a little bit more of what they did, but when the season started, uh, this committee actually took up the money at the gates, gave a percentage to the school. They kept the rest to uh, be able to pay back uh, the loans that they had made with these bonds warrants. So uh, it didn't take them five years to get it done because what they had been told is true. The attendance uh, did increase and increased the interest in uh in, in football by the summer of 1939 you know they're ready to do the work the problem they ran to in 1939 was in june and july that year it was a really really wet summer uh, they just had torrential rains and it prevented them number one from working on the field and grading the field and and replanting the field so it was late before um, They got that done. Now, you have to remember, again, season's not starting. We're not talking about getting started at the end of August like we do today. Um, You're talking about the first game. In fact, the first home game wasn't scheduled until the first week of October. So they had a little time to get all that done, but they never got the grass planted until sometime in August there, so they knew that their growing season was going to be a little less, and they knew they wouldn't have a great stand of grass on the field. They did get the Lighting taken care of, a crew from Alabama Power Company put the lights up. Uh, they had put five poles on each side of the field. The cost of the lighting was considered to be somewhere around twelve dollars or $1,300 to get all that done. Again, they did grade the field. They were just late getting it done. They were late getting the bleachers done, in fact, <laughs> for the first game. They barely got the bleachers completed for the first game, but they did. And uh, they built the bleachers on the west side, which was considered to be the home side, which is the side closest to the school. And those bleachers were um, supposed to seat at least a 1,000 people. In addition to doing that, uh, they built were building, um, kind of enclosing the whole field and building ticket booths and so forth. In fact, um, uh, the information I got was that uh, they seemed to finish up the ticket booth on the uh, maybe the the morning of the first game, so they just barely got that done. Everyone in Bruton was excited about the first contest. So the first um, time that the Miller football team ever went on a field under the lights and on uh, their home field was the Thursday before the game, a week before the game was to be played which was like the 29th or 28th of uh, September 1939. They went out at night. They flipped the lights on, and they went out and practiced that night uh, before their game they were going to play on Friday. The following week would be the first game ever, first night football game ever played in Bruton. T.R. Miller versus J. at 8 o'clock on October 6, 1939. You have to understand, too, that just the excitement of, of the opportunity because now you've got, all, you've got people who are going to be able to attend the game who never could attend before because they were always at work. You've got students that are coming. You've got people coming from out of town. And what was interesting in those days is that at the time, 1939, T.R. Miller did not have a band. They had no band. And in an interesting ploy, someone convinced the band from Evergreen High School to come play at the game. Now, I don't know if Evergreen wasn't playing or what the deal was, but they convinced Evergreen, the Evergreen band, to come play. Folks in Bruton were so fired up about the band that they tried to convince them to come, and I think they did a couple more times during the year. And the band director at Evergreen started coming on Mondays and Fridays, gathering up people to play. And teaching them to play, and started crea and created their own band at T.R. Miller. Pretty interesting. So uh, it was a big success. They bit a in the middle of the bleachers. They put a cheering section, you know, for the for the students. the The first crowd was estimated to be at about a thousand people. The only thing that seemed to be a problem at Rotary Field at the first night game was that the uh, they only had one ticket booth built, and so everybody had to come through the same gate, and the admission, which, by the way, was 15 cents for students and 40 cents for adults, there was a line to get in, so at the next game, they fixed that, and uh, they fixed it by adding another entrance, building another ticket booth, so they had them on, on both sides of the field, both ends of the field, and they also sold uh, pre-game tickets, you could go to Mormon's Drug Store in downtown Bruton and buy your tickets there. One other thing that came out of that first game, by the way, uh, T.R. Miller defeated Jay that night, 33 nothing, in pretty good a uh, uh, display. And by the way, just got to mention a few minutes ago, the first game ever played on Rotary Field was the first game of the 1927 season. And in the first game Miller ever played at Rotary Field, they tied for Ralla six to 6-6. Okay, that may not seem like a lot. Miller had a pretty good team that year. They, they won five games, they lost two, and they tied two. And that may not seem like a lot, but the Florella team was pretty good. In fact, Floralla, after tying Miller 6-6, they would shut out their opponent for the next 17 games in a row, which is a Alabama High School Athletic Association record that I think still stands today. They were pretty terrific on defense when I mean, you shut out folks for 17 straight games. But another thing that came out of that was because of the crowd, Uh, the committee, which had a little bit of money left over because they had raised a little more than the $2,000 that they were shooting for, they decided that uh, they were going to build bleachers on the other side. So by the end of October, Rotary Field had wooden bleachers on both sides of the field. When I was uh, an elementary school student and started attending games at T.R. Miller, the team was still playing at Rotary Field. And I can tell you a couple things about Rotary Field. Number one is that it was tremendously close to the field. I, I'm, I'm thinking that from the fence that separated basically the players and the and the fans. It couldn't have been over six or seven feet, maybe eight feet at the most, from the fence to the bottom of the bleachers. And when we went back and started uh, pulling some old film and found some old film and started looking at some of those things from the early 60s, what we found out was you could watch – the game, and you could see just how close the bleachers were uh, to the fence and the players. And I, I just remember it was—it was no matter where you sat, you were close to the field. The other thing that I can tell you about the old field is that um, those were those wooden bleachers were still there. They had plenty of room, plenty of leg room. The the fence closest to the school, if you today went down. Evergreen Avenue, towards Bruton Elementary School, the fence of the field there that surrounded the field would be just about where Evergreen Avenue comes into being there, you know, where it, where it run, runs in and, and, and hits. I guess that's underwood right there. The other fence on the other side, if you go back and go to about where maybe the edge of the road is that comes in front of the Bruton Elementary School right now, uh the other fence was somewhere around there, so kind of give you some idea of where the field sat you know in, in those days. And those five poles that they had put on both sides were between the bleachers, obviously, the field in those days, unlike the new stadium that was built in the sixties where the poles were placed behind the bleachers. It meant that when you started watching the film of a game, a lot of times the pole got in the way. There was uh, later years, they, they put some bleachers in the ends a little bit. the uh, They had a concession stand that was down there on the Evergreen Avenue side, down there right in the corner. Had a nice concession stand that was down there. And, and they built a press box on the home side. And on the visitor side over there, they had another little filming area, a little press box to film with. And so all the films came from over there. so uh, and, and it was so close to the field when they would go out of bounds on that side, it almost looked like. You would get a shot from a blimp or something. It was almost straight down on top of you. It was a great place, really, to watch football. And T.R. Miller played there from 1927 uh, until the fall of 1965. And by the way, where did they practice in those days? Well, behind the Vister's bleachers towards Highway 31, there was enough space there that they had a little practice field out there. And so they would practice there or on the football field itself, and uh, they had built a little backstop over there in the corner. Little league teams used to practice out there. I can remember uh, practicing there as a little leaguer in the mid-60s, and even up until the time right before they um, uh, tore everything down to build Bruton Elementary School. I coached a little t-ball team or something in the mid-70s after I got out of high school, and, you know, we used to practice out there some. So that was kind of where they practiced and all in those days. In the late 50s, uh, the paper mill comes to town. Container Corporation comes to town, and all of a sudden, families and young families, uh, parents in their 20s and 30s, are moving to Bruton, and they're bringing children with them. And all of a sudden, the the schools in Bruton are just exploding, and uh, they almost doubled in in a matter of a few years. And so, everyone understood that you're gonna need to build more schools. And so, one of the first things that at the elementary <clears> school they added row of classrooms and the decision was made to to build a new high school. In the uh, fall of 1962 students left that old brick building there on Belleville Avenue and moved to the new T.R. Miller High School again north of town. When the school was built they also built a baseball field and the idea was the football team could practice there and they did they dressed in the gym and practiced on the baseball field and that they would continue to play at Rotary Field until some time in the future when they would build a new football field. And they had room to build a new football field between the baseball field and um, uh, where Belleville Avenue was. So in the falls of 1962, 63, and 64, T.R. Miller football teams all played still at Rotary Field. Well, finally they decided to, to build a new field, and so um, they, they were going to build it, as I said, right there, right off Belleville Avenue. In those days, that area was kind of swampy in there. There were trees. And I can remember there was a road that ran from Belleville Avenue through the woods to get you to the baseball field over there. I can remember going down through the woods to the field when I was a kid. I played Little League Baseball there on that field one summer. They cut the trees, and they've got a haul of dirt in there. And I can tell you that in 1992, we put a drainage system on our football field and we're out there digging ditches and so forth, trenches uh, for the drainage system. On the side closest to the press box, the home side over there, all that dirt was just rich black soil. It, I guess was some of the old swamp dirt that had been there. On the other side of the field was was red dirt that they had hauled in. So they had a lot of hauling of dirt to, to, to be able to get the field out there and get it graded and so forth. At the time, Mr. Obed Monk, who had been a T.R. Miller football player in the 1930s, Mr. Obed was president of the T.R. Miller quarterback club, was also, I believe, a county commissioner. and He was really determined to try to get that field ready for the 1965 season. They weren't able to do that, but they did get it ready to play towards the end of the season. The very first football game ever played at Bruton Municipal Stadium was on October 29, 1965. T.R. Miller versus Monroeville. Monroeville, which had a good football team. The Miller team would go five and five that year under coach Darrell Fitz. The Tigers beat Monroeville six to nothing, the only score of the game, and Jeff Kaler uh, caught a pass right over there in front of the press box Turned down the sideline and outran the Monroeville defense for the only score of the game, and Miller won their first game there by a score of six to nothing. For fifty years, the Tigers practiced right there on the baseball field, played in practice on the field there at uh, Brute Municipal Stadium, and of course, in the last few years, certainly made some improvements to all of that. For um we went underneath the stadium, built dressing rooms down there, carpeted that area, and, and built locker room down there for the football team. That stayed there until 2000. In 2000, we came out and built a, a brand new field house right to the outside. That field house still sits today, is in great shape. Coaches there today do a great job of taking care of all that. And so it's there, and it was, was first-class, state-of-the-art. And I can tell you, when Brute Municipal Stadium was built, Uh, A little bit different than the other fields around because it had a track around it, which was important because we've had great track programs down through the years, so it had a track around it. The fans were further from the action, and it took a little while to to get used to some of that. We built the locker rooms up under there in 1979, the new field house in 2000. And then uh, beginning with uh, the 2013 season, I believe, uh, we built a brand-new practice field on the uh, south end of the stadium there and the Tigers started practicing there and left the baseball field which we had pretty much destroyed over 50 years <laughs> of, of practicing football out there and so uh, one thing that was great about practicing on the baseball field is that thing drained incredibly and you could have a big thunderstorm Rain a bunch, twenty minutes afterwards, there'd be no standing water anywhere. So there was a lot of things that I liked about practicing out there on that on that field, but it's also nice to have a full one hundred yard practice field that you could practice on. So after that trip down history lane, you might say, Let me go back to where we originally were. The movie The Field of Dreams had reminded me of the day in two thousand and eleven when I was sitting out there with my P.E. class, right by the baseball field, and I suddenly got to thinking about all the great players that had practiced out there on that field for 50 years. It just happened to be the Thursday before our second-round playoff game against Hanley. So each night before the games in those days, I would write an installment of A Minute with Coach Riggs, and post it for the players and the parents to see. So I decided that I was going to write about the spirit of Miller on that baseball field. And so I'd like to uh, read this one, and I entitled it The Spirit of T.R. Miller Lives Here. We have a new practice field that we haven't been able to get on yet during this football season. It still needs some leveling and some other work but we will be on it sometime in the next year. My physical education class was out playing touch football this past week on the baseball field, which has served as our football practice field for what seems like forever. And my mind started wandering. As we finish up our last season of football practice there, I started thinking about what this piece of land has seen over these many years. The dictionary defines field as a piece of land devoted to sports. I don't know that this field could be described any better. There has been much devotion on this piece of property for nearly 50 years. When the new T.R. Miller High School opened in 1962, the Miller football team began practicing on the baseball field. All the great Miller teams have been there the great champions, the great players, the legends of Miller football have all stood on this hallowed sod. Sometimes if you go by there when no one is around and just sit and listen in the silence, you can feel the history. You can feel the humidity of the August practice, the one-on-one collisions, and the beauty of Walter Lewis and Reggie Brown running the option play. Near the left field line, you can hear Frank Cotton chewing on a player in the late 60s as he spits tobacco juice everywhere. The lineman shoots always stood near the right field fence, close to the foul line. It was Donnie Roche's devoted area for nearly two decades. In the 70s, we would kick extra points toward an old go post in center field, and late in the season. The pecans would fall as a ball rocketed through the old tree. The parents and the kids and the fans all stood under those trees and watched practice. I remember watching such a practice in the mid 1960s, wondering if I would measure up as I watched the great Bucky Philippi quarterback a preseason scrimmage. The soil must be sweetened with the sweat and blood and Gatorade of those teenage years where young men prepared for those Friday night games as though it was the most important thing in their world. You can almost see the players all on the knee listening to their coach. He's talking about pride in being a Miller Tiger and how tough the opponent is and the Herculean effort it will take to win on that upcoming Friday night. Then suddenly it happened. Dow Altman splattered another runner, and the sound echoed off of the brick of the football stadium amid the roar of his teammates. Then magically, it is an overcast Monday in 1997, and we are working on a screen pass. You can see from the desperate look on the young faces that it is Neil Week, and the opponent is fierce. I want to tell them to work hard on the pass, that it would be one of the great plays of the great upset, but I refuse to spoil the moment that is still four days away. There are two lines of players in all white uniforms facing each other in right field. I can tell from the helmets, This a long time ago. In the flash of a moment, I recognize the face in one of those helmets. I am 14 years old, and it is my first tackling drill. And like most Miller Tigers in their first tackling drill, I'm pretty nervous. All at once, a vision appears in left field. I'm a senior, and running with the ball with courage and confidence that four years of playing for T.R. Miller can bring you. Is it possible? Like in Kevin Costner's movie, Field of Dreams, could they all be there at one time? Is it possible to see them, to hear them, and to feel their presence? For this piece of earth was truly a field of dreams where we learned that great things were possible if you worked and tried and cared about each other. If you step on this field, will you suddenly be 17 years old again with shoulder pads and helmet in hand? Some nights you can drive by the field. And the lights will be on. But we can never find out who flipped the switch. Is there a scrimmage in progress? Is that Pat Byrne, class of 02? I just saw Thor pass Shine McCracken, class of 1970. Could that be Mike Sasser and the 64 team battling the 1994 state champions? All of a sudden, there's a flash going down the sideline. Wearing number 40. Ron Gibson just broke a sweep down the sideline, and no one will catch him. Far in center field, I see this man with a red helmet on. He is kneeling like the nose guards of a past generation in front of the ball, just waiting on the next play. From the U-bar in front and the 72 on the side, I know it has to be Frankie Sims. He is waiting patiently for one more play that has been promised to him for many years. I will miss this old field. I know it was built for baseball, but it has survived the wear and tear of 50 football seasons. We walked onto this field as children, but left as young men, ready to take our place in the world. I really need to put a sign on the fence, and here's what I wanted to say. The spirit of T.R. Miller lives here. If you don't believe me, go by late at night when the lights are on and just listen. Thanks for tuning in. This has been A Minute with Coach Riggs. Till next time.